God, we pray that uh, what you prayed through Paul thousands of years ago would become real to us right now this morning. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. So this morning, what I would love to do is focus in on this passage from Paul's A Letter to Ephesus, because it has jumped out to me so many times, and I've often skimmed over it because there's so much verbiage, and one day I slowed down, and I took a closer look, and I found myself blown away. So will you take a closer look with me a little bit while we have some time together this morning? I want to read it again, this passage that Rosalind read. Here's Paul's word. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. And now what is Paul about to pray? Kneel before the Father. He says, God, I want to ask of you something. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with what? Power. Through his spirit in your inner being. Where? Inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now that word dwell has jumped out to me many times because it's not just a stopping by to have a visit. It's not just a checking in, it's a dwell. Where do you dwell? I mean, what marks dwell, dwelling, staying someplace where you're sharing life, where all your stuff is, where everything that matters to you is located? It's your place. Where is that, Paul thinks? our inner being, our heart. And what does he pray that the Father will fill us up with so that we can have it? Power. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be Here's another one of those words. Filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. To be filled. Now, this is somewhat foreign language in our day. So in many ways, grasping what Paul is speaking about can be a little tricky. We have some phrases like, oh, I'm so full. Maybe after a big meal or maybe before a meal if you don't want to eat the food. Oh, I'm, I'm full. <laughs> or maybe you're full of it. We won't elaborate on what the it is, but we have that phrase in our, in our times. So grasping somehow the concept that we can have something inside of us, so much of it that there's no room for anything else to fit in there, and also that we can have something inside of us that will come out of us impacting others, maybe whether they like it or not. What does Paul in this prayer, in this passage, want us to be filled with? Power. Christ, the love of God, and then how much does he want us to be filled with it? That you may be filled to the measure of a teaspoon, a cup, a belly full. We have all kinds of ways to measure stuff. 
long, wide, high, deep, half pint, short, muchos grandes, depending on what culture you're in, how much you're talking about. What does Paul say? To the measure, I mean, he actually tries to quantify it for us, to the measure of the fullness of God. Now, how much is that? Let's just pause for a moment and let ourselves try to get our minds around this. This is the one who said every star in the sky created the heavens and the earth and everything that we see around us. This is the one who created the person next to you. You don't have to look at him because it could be a little awkward, but just take that in for a second. He knows the number of hairs on the head of the person in front of you. He knows everything about everything. And he has power to even raise the dead, seemingly to be everywhere all the time. And as this passion where he seems bent on helping us know who he really is and connecting us deeply with his love so we can be who he thinks we are, even to the point of laying down his own life. That's a lot of fullness. I mean, how much is that? What kind of measure is that? Maybe more than we can even imagine or ask for. So now how do we become filled with this fullness that Paul thinks is possible for us to have? It has something to do with this power he's talking about, something to do with the spirit coming near to us, something to do with God dwelling in us. It's like he's saying, if you have this, you will have this fullness. If I can give you this, then the result is you're going to have this. We may have other parallels like that in our day where in my family we watch Curious George a lot. i got a three-year-old son, Sam, and that's his favorite show, That and Martha Speaks. And one episode, Curious George really wanted a toy boat, and it cost $5. And he had five cents. And he was confused at first because he couldn't get the boat. And they explained, Sam, uh, George, <laughs> you, actually, you actually need... Five dollars. And then it was a whole adventure of him learning how to count and how to understand money. Now, what type of things do we fill in that blank with? I need to have this in order to have relationship with God or fullness in my relationship with God. All manner and sorts of things, whether it be right living, whether it be a certain understanding. But what does Paul say it takes to have this fullness? Power. To know, to even grasp the love of Christ. Now, from my experience, there are two tricky things about this knowing, this grasping that, this, that Paul is talking about. The first is, he says, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. How do you know something that you can't know? How can you know something? He's, he just rolls that off like, and usually we wouldn't even notice it. I mean, it's enough to have the epistemological question, which is, how do we know what we know, that has puzzled humanity for centuries? Is it through our reason that we know stuff? Is it through our experience? Is it what others tell us through tradition? Is it through scientific method or through our five senses? Is it through relationship? How do we know what we know? And this question actually dominated my undergrad studies at UW and actually a lot of my faith journey. My major in college was comparative history of ideas. And what we did was 
compare the history of human thought and what humans throughout history have known and how they've come to know it. And it was the prof's desire that at the end of our college education, we would come to the point where we would recognize that you really can't know anything. <laughs> because of all our biases and all our skewed perspectives and all our limited understanding, essentially it's all subjective and relative to the person. So when you walk across that grandstand and you shake that president's hand and he says thank you for your efforts and your tuition, congratulations, <laughs> you don't know anything. Now, Paul isn't too far off from this, except he comes at it from a radically different angle. Maybe anticipating the failures and the arrogance of enlightenment thought, modernity, skepticism of post-modernity, and the challenges that make it so difficult for so many of us in our everyday lives to go into the questions of, how do I know God even exists? And if he does, how do I know anything about him? And then how do I even know him on a personal level, let alone what he is saying to me on a daily basis, how do I know that this is really true? And it's like Paul anticipating all the debates and all the doubts and challenges just throws out a big trump card. Don't even worry about it, guys, because this love is beyond knowing. It surpasses knowledge. And affecting this also, that I found makes it very tricky, is that we have experienced all sorts of lesser and distorted forms of love in our life, in our world, and we've come to accept them as love. So whether it be performance-based love that's rooted in, if I succeed, I'm going to get more love and attention, or if I fail, I'll get less. Whether it's a self-interested love that if I'm not going to get anything out of this, then I'm not going to stick around. Abandonment love, I'll leave or I'll give up if this isn't going to work. A passive love that won't engage when things get hard and won't even attack and fight the things that may be keeping somebody from being free, even if it hurts. Or maybe simply a busy love where I just don't have time. What is it about the kind of love that would give up everything for someone else? Surrender everything to see someone set free. To be so passionate about one thing, to be so passionate about the Father that he would do everything that the Father told him to do, even at the cost of his own life. It's hard for us to grasp this kind of love that Jesus had, that Jesus was, and that God is, because, well, we haven't seen it, Maybe we haven't experienced it, and so sometimes it's just hard to imagine or dream of love like that. Now, Paul doesn't leave us there, like my, college, my major in college left me there. Paul is praying for power to come and fill us, for God to come and get very, very near to us in our inner being. Where our heart is, our soul is, our mind is, our imagination, the very things that make us who we are. And he says, I wanna actually live there, dwell there, make my home there. By his power. When I was in high school, I worked at a YMCA. And one day, 
we had an emergency happen on the pool deck, and my job was to just check people in at the front desk and wander around the building and just make sure everything was kind of clean. And I first got wind of it because this woman who was having trouble in the pool, son, came running out to get an inhaler out of his car, and he ran back into the pool and said, my mom's having an asthma attack, she's having trouble breathing. So I looked in through the windows where I was onto the pool deck, and I could see her leaning up against the wall of the pool with her arms draped on the edge, kind of her head down, having trouble breathing. So I went inside to take a little closer look and noticed that how much she was struggling to catch her breath. So they trained us, if anything at all starts going funky, call somebody that can really do something about it, like 911. So I immediately did that, and then I came back to see what was going on. By then, they had pulled her out of the pool, and she was laying on her back. And she was breathing something like this. (laughs) And then just... As we were all looking at each other going, what does this mean, what do we do? A police officer who was the first responder showed up, took one look at her and said, this woman's in cardiac arrest, someone needs to administer CPR immediately. And we need to clear the pool. So one lifeguard, there was two on duty, took the job of clearing the pool deck. The other lifeguard looked at the woman, took three steps back and said, I'm not doing it. So I was looking down at her and I was looking around at everybody else. And then I heard the music in my head. Dun, 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 dun. No, actually, what I was thinking in my head was like, I can't tell if she's breathing or not. If I miss her CPR, I might kill her. This is not what they told me in class. There was just an abdomen and a head. His name was Dave or something. He was made of plastic. You just hit him as hard as you wanted. I'm going to break this woman's ribs. But I had people watching me. So I got down on my knees and I kind of like, and I started, I remember trying to talk to her. I was like, keep breathing. And so I got to about right here and the door swung open on the pool deck and in came the paramedics. And I thought to myself, oh, thank God. But I said, fellas, you can take over from here. (laughs) And they immediately got out what I think is called is a defibrillator, where they have the two handles with the pads that they run electric current through. And they immediately got those things out, got them charged up, and just put them on her chest, boom, and sent an electric charge through her. And they stepped back and gave her a second, and then they hit her again. And I think they did it three or four times to charge her heart back to life. Now, about three days later, the son came back to let us know what had happened because they had carted away in the ambulance and we hadn't heard anything since. And he said, thank you so much, my mom. She's tired, but she's okay. You saved her life. And I said, hey, it's just my job. (laughs) And, uh, And I knew it wasn't me that did it. It was that defibrillator and those paramedics who knew how to use it where they shot power energy, electricity, that her heart needed to be able to be filled with the power and energy to pump the blood that would sustain her life throughout her body. It took power. And when this power of God fills us and enables us to grasp this love, this unimaginable, amazing love of Christ, for us, for others, for the world, for the Father, something happens inside of us. We get filled. Paul tries to put words to it. God actually starts dwelling in us and we experience him and hearing him and feeling him and knowing him through the Spirit. So where is your heart 
this morning, your inner being, and what is your heart filled with? We can be filled with all sorts of things, and sometimes simultaneously, with fear, with shame, with love and with joy, with worry. We can be filled with doubt, or sometimes we can just feel empty. There's a God here in this room who has power that he wants to give you, a charge that he wants to send through you to fill you with his love and his life. But it's not like a defibrillator where it's a one-shot, bam, power. It's a dwelling. It's an abiding. Like we get plugged into a power source that never goes out. So God, we pray this morning that you would fill us with that power. God, we so much want to understand it. We so much want to seek knowledge about it. And you have that knowledge for us. But God, sometimes it's just a matter of receiving your love. So I pray that you would show us what that really looks like in each of our lives. That you would show us through your word, through this church, through small groups, at our jobs, in our relationships, what it means to be filled. But God, right now you would fill us with that power. That your Holy Spirit, like Paul prayed, would come into our inner being and Christ would dwell in us more than ever he ever has before, that we could grasp your love afresh. And Lord, that we could be so full with that power and that love that there's nothing else that'll fit in there. No fear, no shame. Nothing but your love. In Jesus' name, amen.